Hello and welcome back, everyone. Hello, friends. This is my Ride or Die podcast. My name is Diana. I'm Chantal. And we are here to tell you some crazy stories. Yes, we are. <laughs> How was your week? Busy. Oh, my goodness. Into the new job. Yep. So stinking busy between that and this and home life, you know, mom life, all that. It's busy, man. Yeah. And hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're we're we, we have another heat wave right now. I thought for sure with the cooler temperatures it was going to stay that way, but uh-uh. Mm-mm. Mother nature's like, "Fuck you." Nay, nay. So, how's your week been? Busy, I guess. Mhm. I finally got an x-ray on my ankle. Yes. I twisted it pretty severely back in March. It sucked to walk on for a very long time. But here we are, months and months and months later, and it still swells and it still gives out on me. So I decided to go in for an x-ray. Finally. Well, listen, <laughs> it actually took two, three months for me to get in. You could have gone to the hospital. I have zero interest in going to the hospital for something like Whose that. Whose fault is that? I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought my doctor forgot to send the request in. Yep. And I just was like, whatever. <clears throat> and then I got a call. And I was like, holy cow, that was like months ago. Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, we're down to one radiologist. <laughs> Is that because of COVID? I don't know. So they have Jesus. one radiologist. They even shut down the one in Kelowna and they're only doing it out of West Kelowna because they have one. So I finally got in. That's nuts. And got the results last week and talked to my doctor, I guess yesterday. Today's Saturday, right? Yeah. Yeah. Talked to him yesterday and I fractured my ankle in three different spots. <laughs> <laughs> with that fall and I've been walking on it and then they showed me that there's all these little pieces of bone just floating around in my ankle yep which is great and there's nothing they can do about it and he found old fractures mm. that have healed so apparently I've broken my ankle before and I just didn't know so there's nothing we can do he said to just keep walking on it and being careful to get some physio so I'm going to do that for both my ankles because I'm pretty sure I broke the other one at some point. <laughs> if I can walk on it, it's fine. Same with my tailbone. I only went in because it hurts sitting. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. It's not like I had a bone protruding out of my flesh and I couldn't walk. That's the benchmark here? Yeah. <laughs> a bone <laughs> protruding out of your body. Or me not being able to use that part. <laughs> So sort of like when I broke my tailbone in, what, February? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I didn't go in for the longest time. And eventually I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in way too much pain still. And sure enough, I snapped off the tip of my tailbone completely. It's just there hanging out and there's nothing we can do. So I get pain injections for that. As just well hanging as, out? Just hanging out. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I, did, I, I heard it when I said it. Right? I was like, Damn it. <laughs> Stop sounding so Canadian. The stereotypical Canadian. <laughs> but yeah. And the funny thing is, I broke my ankle in March because my tailbone, I felt like an electric shock. And my leg went out and boom, then I, the next thing I know, I'm on the floor. So because of my broken tailbone, that's why I broke my ankle yet again. The fact that I fractured three different parts just blows my mind that I was able to walk on it. I know. Yeah. Dude. I know. I got to get a full body scan. I'm curious right? to see what other bones I've broken yeah. that I don't know about. <laughs> Your situation reminds me of when Whiskey passed away. For listeners, Whiskey was my last horse. 
when she passed away, I had her feet cut off and mm-hmm. donated them to a woman who is an instructor for running a barefoot trimming course for horses. And so she has cadavers. So she has actual horses' feet that she's treated with salt to preserve them yeah. and stuff. And so she has several pairs of these horses' hooves and part of their ankles and stuff. It's cool because some of them are cut open and cut in half. And then she puts a hinge on the front of the hoof. Oh. Okay. So it's on a hinge. And yeah, yeah, you can open up and look at all the insides. It's fucking amazing. That's actually really cool. Super cool. So she did that with Whiskey's feet. So I donated Whiskey's hooves to her. And then one or two of them she cut open and put on hinges. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we discovered fascinating things about Whiskey's feet. Yeah. When she did it. And then, like, when I was ready emotionally, I went to her house and she showed me. And it was a few years after I put her down because I just wasn't ready. No, of course. No. So I went in 2018 and it was fascinating to see. And we found out that she had broken her coffin bone at some point in her life. Yeah. Which is the main toe bone, like in a horse's hoof. Mm -hmm. So she had fractured or yeah, I had fractured or something, the coffin bone. And so it was like, holy fuck. And one of her front feet was a little bit crooked. And then we found out that she had an issue with her ankle. Mm -hmm. That's crazy what you can find out. Hey, when you get x-rays or you cut someone's feet off. Yeah, I'm I'm okay not cutting my feet off. I still need them, even if they hurt. I still need them. But yeah, so that was my week, I guess, just working. And I've been feeling kind of blah this week, just very blah. There's no other word for it. Just blah. Nothing cray cray, aside from finding out I broke my ankle multiple times. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, well, could be worse. I'm not surprised, though. Can it be worse? Oh, yeah, right. It could be because your benchmark is a bone sticking out. Yeah, it could be way worse. <sighs> I could have had a bone sticking out of my ankle. That would suck. That's totally worse. So it's not like that. So I'm okay. My goal is to not twist my ankles anymore. <laughs> yeah, good goal. Good goal to have. And attainable. Yes, it is. With physio, I think it will help a yeah. lot. And I have a very huge arch in my foot. So I've always had issues with my ankles. That one really big fall I told you about when I was mm-hmm. about seven years old, I was in front of my school. I was going into the office and it was all icy and I slipped. I was on bed rest for a month or something like that. So I'm pretty sure one of those old fractures is probably from that. Probably. And I have twisted my ankle pretty severely a few other times. So yeah. But yeah, hopefully physio will help. The arch in my foot definitely makes it worse or easier for me to roll my feet inward. And I do try and get shoes that have arch support. But anyway, so you wanted to talk about phobias. I do. But first, can I bring up something else? Sure. A really important point that I want to make. Circling back to talking about donating my horse's feet, I would like us to just, and Diane and I are both in the same boat when it comes to when we die. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to register Felicity yep. for the organ donor registry or whatever it's called. Yep. Yeah, I would like to shed some light on this. I yes. think this is a great thing to talk about, how vitally important it is to donate your fucking organs, your eyes, your skin, everything, everything. when you die. I know. It's so important. Give it some thought, everyone. If you sit on the fence with it, I get it. I was on the fence with it with my daughter when she was super little. I did not want to register her because the thought of somebody skinning my daughter and taking her eyes out fucking horrified me. Even with yourself, you were like, Yeah, with myself, with my eyes and my skin, I was like, yeah, like, eh. Everything else was fine. But but I was like, "Uh, but that's just it exactly. I think in these situations, you have to be objective and detach emotionally. Mm -hmm. Because... If you don't, you're never going to make the right decision, which is to donate. Yes. Donate your skin. Donate your eyes. Everything. It's so, so important. Not only that, donate blood. Yes. Canada is screaming for blood and plasma donors, people. If you are able to, 
there's like literally no excuse yeah not to and if you're afraid of needles i get it i've passed out before from having blood drawn seriously passed out and fallen out of one of the chairs then i started donating blood and my first time i was terrified and this nurse really put things into perspective for me. Mm -hmm. She asked me what was wrong because she could tell I was really anxious. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I was like, I'm really, really uncomfortable with needles. And she's like, well, try and think about it this way. You're on the right end of the needle. Yep. You're not the one who's dying and depending on blood. Yep. You're the healthy person who's able to donate. So good for you. Yeah. Whatever. But try and look at it that way. And honestly, those words from her changed my mind. It's It switched everything around for me. And I was like, holy shit it is the way she worded it was perfect perfect and ever since then it's really helped me with my phobia Mm -hmm. which is the next thing we're going to talk about yeah of needles i used to be terrified of needles i was too i think everyone at some point i think so i think so too yeah it's scary it is scary you're having a foreign object pushed into your body and then it's taking something out of you potentially or whatever it can be freaky the whole needle concept but i just can't emphasize enough how important it is go ahead if you want to say something oh yeah it's amazing i actually have an appointment next week to donate plasma oh good for you yep good for you friday i believe nice i have an appointment in like three weeks yeah i have one on friday i think i think it's friday thursday or friday anyway so when i was younger i was terrified of needles terrified one time they withdrew blood and the woman looked a little shocked it looked like my blood was boiling almost really (laughs) it took almost an hour for me to calm down for them to be able to draw blood you know i inject myself i take vitamin b12 injections and i do it myself Uh, (laughs) i don't think i could even do that but it took so long for mm-hmm. me to get to that point yeah i bet and this needle is so small so thin the gauge on it it's so tiny you barely feel it yeah the donation ones yes granted they're massive so just yeah. look away it's a pinch exactly it, you feel it going in it's a small pinch and then that's it yeah and then you just sit there on your phone or whatever watching tv but yeah people need to donate uh-huh. uh, and it's great that we're on this side and then same thing with organ donation. Mm-hmm. What if we need one? And exactly. there's so many wait lists out there for organs and so many people that refuse to donate. I'm donating whatever they need, yep, they can same. take. I want to donate my body to science as well. Josh doesn't need my body, my ashes, but he doesn't need that. Yeah. So once they've taken all the organs that they can use away, if they can use my body for science for whatever reason, it's fine. Yeah. Even those two cadavers that you sent me, one riding the other one. <laughs> oh my god, that was so funny. That was yeah. so funny. Yeah, yeah so... imagine being stuck in reverse cowgirl for all eternity. Yeah. So fucking funny. Even that, I'd be okay with. Because <laughs> so would I. I'm dead. Who cares? Who gives a shit? <laughs> my sister commented, because I shared that on Facebook too, and that's a museum. I can't remember what it's called. Okay. But bodies are donated to it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's absolutely phenomenal, which well, you can even tell from that picture. Oh, totally. Yeah. Apparently, like, the pictures, whatever they do with the bodies, it's just incredible. Yeah. We'll have to ask her, does she know where it is? Yeah, she knows where it is. Apparently, they actually did some kind of shady shit in the past with obtaining some bodies and stuff. She knows a lot of details about it. So she's like, they're a little bit shadier, at least they were. But mm. she's like, their their work is phenomenal. We'll have to ask. Yeah, they're the ones who, I'm sure you've seen pictures of a brain mm-hmm. with its entire nervous system. Mm-hmm. It's in that museum. Wonderful. Or whatever okay. it is. That, uh, whatever it's called. Whatever it is. Yeah. So once I'm gone, I don't need anything mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. And if I can help at least one person... Right? That's all I care about. Absolutely. Imagine giving somebody vision. Yeah. You got to put yourself in that position. And again, detaching emotionally from this. Yeah. Put yourself in the position. And I guess that that, in that sense, you almost have to be a little bit emotional about it. 
think about how would you feel if you went blind because of something and mm-hmm. you were hoping so much that there was a set of eyes that could be donated to you. Yeah. But imagine if everybody had the attitude of, oh, well, I'm not donating my eyes because they're mine. I'm going to I'm going to die with them. Why? Because you need them once you're dead. The yeah, worms are going to fucking eat. Exactly. Them. Yeah. Because they're so useful to you when you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. I read about a, a story about this family. She found out that her baby wasn't going to survive after delivery, mm-hmm. but she went to full term. Mm-hmm. They got to hold her. She was missing a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. She went to full term knowing her baby would die shortly after birth. They got to hold her for about an hour before she passed away because she wanted to donate her body. Right. I get so teary eyed thinking about that. It's just, sorry, such a beautiful thing. Not just adults need organs. Little kids do too. Babies. Yeah. Little kids. Exactly. Wow. So I cried when I read that. And clearly I still cry (laughs) when I talk about it because as a mom. Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, fuck. It's so dumb. <laughs> no, seriously, it's it's getting me right in the feels, too. Yeah. That is, like, beyond words. That's beyond selfless. Yeah. It was a beautiful thing she did. She should so. be, yeah. She that Those parents should be nominated as, like, humanitarians. Yeah, it was or, like, wonderful. people of the year from their country or whatever. Like, that's phenomenal. I think it was in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken, I think. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so, so important, you guys. Definitely give it some thought. Mm-hmm. And now that I think about it, I'm going to try and remember later to register Felicity finally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Enough crying stuff. Right. (laughs) I don't want to cry through this whole podcast. (laughs) Okay. Phobias. Yes. Do you want to go first? No, you go first. Okay. One of my biggest phobias that I've had my entire life ever since I've been a swimmer is seaweed. I am mortified of seaweed. It is my kryptonite, man. Yeah. I remember you saying that. Yeah. I'm terrified of it. A few weeks ago, Jamie and I and Cecily and Felicity went to the dog beach down on Lakeshore. Mm-hmm. And well, Cecily and I were swimming around and I wanted to go out to the deep end and stuff. And I never realized that part of that beach has a whole shit ton of seaweed. A lot when of you get do deep. Here, oh, yeah. yeah. There's so much of that stuff. They uh, have those in Kelowna. They have those boats. Yeah. With that the go big around. Yeah. Paddles. Exactly. That try yeah. and get rid of a lot of it. But I mean, yeah. they can't get rid of all of it. No. <laughs> and it grows so fast. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So. I was swimming out to the deep end and then I realized that I was starting to become surrounded by seaweed Mm -hmm. and it was just like feet up to the top of the water, everything, (laughs) and just right back to the shallow part to get away from it. Yeah. And then I was super disappointed because the other end of the dog beach, there's no seaweed. Oh. So I can go out super far and I'll take Cecily to the buoys with me and like I'll swim down to the bottom of the lake at the buoys. Yeah. And just do that and do my thing and stuff, but I can't do it all of a sudden something's brushing against your leg and you don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can see it being, I can't really, I can't swim really. I can't tread water. I can swim, but if I stop, I'm screwed, (laughs) but I can float really well on my back. I'm like a professional floater. I'm really good at it. (laughs) So there've been a few times where I've been to that beach down the street from my house and I'll feel the seaweed. The initial is like, Oh, and it's like, Oh, it's just seaweed. So it creeps me out, but it's not like you. You're like, no, thanks. There's something about plants underwater and they're just, every, nope. Because they move. Yeah, they move and I don't know what's in it. And I, then there's just an aspect of it that's almost not even explainable. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to explain, yeah, like really the other part of my fear with it. But yeah. I'll be scared of seaweed till the day I die. I have a fear of dark water as yeah. well. 
oh, like yeah. big time. If I can't see mm-hmm. to the bottom, I'm not getting in that boat or I will, but I just <laughs> won't look at it. Yeah. I have a huge fear of dark water and especially because I can't swim. But if I can't see what's about to touch me, I freak out. <laughs> so yeah, that is a fear of mine as well. That's fair. Yep. Even the water here, it's not clear water, but you can still see yep. up until a certain point and then it starts getting dark. Yeah. Because it's so deep. The lake oh, is so deep. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But I'm usually okay in the lake. But yeah, dark water in me, not friends. When I was a kid, I had this irrational fear that Jaws was going to come through the bathtub and eat me. Yep. I'll never forget that. It's so dumb now that I think of it. I'm like, wow, I was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thing with a pool in the yard. Okay. I had a really hard time with, yeah, swimming in the pool by myself as a kid, so I get it. Yeah, I was afraid to be in the bathtub at home because I thought Jaws was going to get me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now I look back and I'm like, what a stupid kid. <laughs> now it's understandable. You know, the things that our brains come up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I understand the dark water. Thanks to my sister, I became super, super afraid of dark water. When she decided to shove me into the black ocean and it was really cold, she pushed me off of a rock. Didn't we talk about this on another episode? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I think we did. Probably. <laughs> Fuck you, Alicia. <laughs> Fuck you. I know. Hi, Alicia. Bad Alicia. <laughs> Bad Alicia. <laughs> so yeah, I was afraid of needles. Of what, sorry? Needles. Oh, needles. Yeah. Oh, they said beetles. I was like, no, no. what? No, needles. I was definitely afraid of needles, but now they don't bother me at all. Yeah, same. A, a lot of my irrational fears I've gotten over. Bugs used to be a big thing for me. Actually, there's still one bug I'm not okay with. Cockroaches, they can all fucking die. <laughs> Cockroaches, any kind. And mosquitoes. Die. Mosquitoes, I don't have a phobia with them. I'm no, allergic not, to oh, them. Oh, yeah, not a phobia, yeah. No, I don't have a phobia. Yeah. Just, I'm just allergic to them. But cockroaches, oh, like, I literally, my whole body just starts quivering. They are the one bug that I am not okay with. Anything else, no problem. You know me, if there's a spider in the house or any kind of, I'll pick it up, put oh, it outside. Oh yeah, she'll pick it up with her hand. Yeah, I pick up stuff, put them outside. If I know that they're, they bite, then I will pick them up with a tissue and put them outside, because some of the spiders out here do. But yeah, that was a crazy fear I had, and now I don't. So that's another one for me. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, I don't know if it's a phobia. I guess it kind of is. If I can't stand up straight in a space, oh yeah, I start hyperventilating. Yeah. I like the window seat in planes, mm-hmm. but I need to be able to stand up right away. And if I can't, you know, sometimes you're waiting to get off the plane. I, I start to freak out and, and panic. So that is kind of not a fear, but it, it gives me severe anxiety is if I can't stand straight in a space. Yeah. I'm not okay with that. And I don't know where that stems from. I have no idea. How is it different from when you're flying and you can't stand up? I'm sitting. Yeah, but so why don't you just stay sitting when the plane's sitting on the tarmac? Well, I have. Yeah, but it's just like when my, you know, if I'm, my back hurts or whatever, you get Oh, and like you stretch. need to stand up yeah. and then you can't. Okay. Yeah, that kind of thing. One of my friends in Toronto, her parents' house, I don't think they have it anymore, but their basement, it was a small basement, but it was really short. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't stand in it. I couldn't stand in her basement and it made me so, like my anxiety used to go through the roof. They had a couch down there so I could sit, but even then knowing I couldn't stand if I, like straight, would give me severe anxiety. It's a weird fear. And again, I don't know where that's stems from i have no idea i wonder if it's like an umbrella from claustrophobia maybe mm. I, it's not claustrophobia 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 
No, it's made like an offshoot of it, like under the yeah. same umbrella. Maybe, yeah. Because I can be like, I know a lot of people have fears with MRI machines and stuff like yeah. that. I'm totally fine and calm in them. Mm -hmm. Totally fine. I'm laying down. I don't care. And yeah, it's like really tight. That doesn't necessarily bother me. It's the standing up and I yeah. can't stand up. That freaks me out. But yeah, yeah, it might be kind of the same thing, sort of. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know that I have any other phobias right now. Unless there's something you can think that I've talked to you about, but I can't think of anything. How about you? Millipedes. Yes. Centipedes. Cannot do them. <laughs> I don't know. Some people may not know what a millipede is. They're native to Madagascar. I'm sure they're in other jungles as well. They're gigantic and disgusting. Mm -hmm. Oh, and sometimes they hiss. Oh my god. Most like, bugs can. Fuck, yeah. A lot of bugs can, not most, but... They're so disgusting. I am so freaked out from millipedes and centipedes, and we have centipedes in Kelowna. You don't see them very often, thank god. Mm -hmm. But if I do, it's like full body shudder. I will literally scream like a little bitch. Just Throw like your kid Frank. at them? No, I'm kidding. Probably. <laughs> Throw your kid at them and run the opposite way? Probably. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She she's never done that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a marsupial that does it. I can't remember what they're called, but the mother will throw her babies at danger and run away. It's uh oh shit, I know what it yeah, is. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I do know. Yeah. Um it's not an opossum. Is it a wombat? No. Is it a wombat? I don't know, but I've I know that there is <laughs> there is one here. Run the opposite way. Can you imagine? Mom of the year. <laughs> right, yeah, mom of the year right there. But yeah, millipedes and centipedes, I cannot fucking do them. Like, I am so scared of millipedes or centipedes mm -hmm. that if, if I'm watching a nature show and they come on the screen, I'm like, <gasps> and I look away and I'm like, like, I can't. I really? cannot. It's that bad. It's that bad. I wow. can't do it. Once I was home alone and I was watching a, a nature show, like Planet Earth or whatever the fuck it was, something like that, and the batteries in our Xbox remote died. <laughs> And what comes on the screen? A fucking segment about millipedes. Oh, shit. They come on the screen and I'm like this. I'm like, I can't get this remote to work, this <laughs> controller to work. And I had to change it. So I just I literally just shut it down. Yeah. I was like, nope. I think I put on a DVD or something like that. Because I was like, <laughs> no, I, I can't do this. Absolutely terrified of them. Once when I lived by myself when I was single, I let Duchess out to go to the bathroom. And this is when I was a screening officer. So it was like 3.30 in the morning. And I'm just about to leave for work. And she comes running in the house, runs down my hallway. And I think I was in the living room. And then I was going to the door. And there was a fucking centipede crawling across my carpet oh, in the hallway. I was almost late for work. <laughs> yep. I ended up killing it. Are moths like that for you too? Yes, the big moths. Yeah, okay. I cannot. Yeah, same. Big moths. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Mm -mm. Yeah, I thought so, because I know you don't like them, but I wasn't mm -mm. sure it was kind of the same reaction. I, I wouldn't say maybe... Oh, no. Yeah, I'd say maybe is severe with the big moths. They scare the shit out of me. Like I told you that night that you were over. Yeah, And you, you went to bed. In? Yeah, I couldn't get in the house because there was a moth the size of Godzilla at the door. <laughs> and I, I was tempted to come or to text you and be like, you need to come up here and deal with this yeah. fucking moth. Like I said, I, I need Ghostbusters my ass up there or something. <laughs> slithered my ass yeah, out there i would have yeah. yeah yeah i don't think i'm trying to think there's anything else i think if i were in a boat and like a big whale or something or a shark came up i would probably panic i watch videos oh my like that God. i think they're beautiful creatures i really do i'm not afraid of them in particular yeah, but but they're so massive i know that the size freaks me out and they're so powerful they are very powerful so powerful 
Well, someone posted a video, I think it was on the news, of they were in one of those inflatable boats, like a dinghy kind of thing. They were out far, and a humpback whale came up under them. At one point, it lifted them out of the water, and they're trying to stay calm because of all the barnacles. Is that what you call yeah, it? They barnacles. were afraid it was going to puncture the boat. I would be shitting my fucking bathing suit. They were there for an hour. <laughs> they, turned, they turned the motor off like oh not to hurt God. the whale one and not to scare it and then the whale started playing with the boat they were there for an hour i would have been shitting my pants i'd have been crying uh, yeah so hard yeah. and yeah just like screaming and again i'm not afraid of the animal itself no it's the sheer size yeah and being that fucking close to you yeah and you're so vulnerable yeah. well two of my fears water and a freaking massive animal there's a big ass fish yeah that could easily flip you into the water so that's probably why my fear is even more uh-huh. that it could flip me into water and i can't swim mm-hmm. and it's dark water generally three fears in one <laughs> that's yeah yeah so i get it because i share this the same thing with you yeah. the, the fear of black water even though i love swimming mm-hmm. and i wish so much that i didn't have that fear of dark water because i love to dive down deep but if I don't know what is around me and beneath me, yeah. and I, I can't remember what it's called, but there's an actual phobia mm-hmm. term for open black water. Oh, I'm okay. sure. Oh, did you know that? I don't think I did. I'm going to look it up because there's an actual, there's a name for it. I didn't realize I was allergic to mosquitoes. Yeah. I just thought it was normal that they swelled to the size of a baseball and discovered that an actual allergy and there's a name for it. Mm-hmm. as well and i was like all right i guess i have that i don't remember it because who cares yeah Just mosquitoes bother me god damn it anyway did you find it philosophobia 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 yeah that's the fear of open black water i will never remember that i know it's it's a different one but it's a neat word philosophobia mm-hmm. but yeah i get it man and then yeah like i love the ocean so much but people who go out on paddle boards Y'all are fucking crazy. And like, I would love to surf, mm-hmm. loving the water as much as I do and stuff. And I love the ocean. I would give anything to have the guts to surf, but there's not a fucking chance in hell I would surf in no, the ocean. I don't know how people do that. Neither do I. Jamie does it. He will yeah. go out so far, like out way past the reef type of thing and sit there on his surfboard Waiting. with his legs dangling in black water yeah no waiting for a wave i don't know how he does it Ugh. fucking crazy i'm having slight anxiety Me too. thinking about it right I now i couldn't watch him do it there's no <laughs> way i've never been to the ocean with him before but the time that we do and i know he's gonna want to go surfing yeah. there's no way i'd be able to watch him i'd be having 40 fucking fits yeah that he's gonna get his ass chewed off from a great white just get super high on ativan right pot and drink just just lay on the beach. just lay on the beach comatose <laughs> Yes. Exactly. Do that. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, like the videos of people on paddle boards and there's fucking free willy Mm -hmm. swimming underneath their kayak. I would be shitting myself. Yeah. I'd be be so scared. Oh my God. We've seen that reel on Instagram of that whale that literally came up out of the water and landed on someone's boat. Yep. No, thanks. No. It was like Freya, that walrus in Norway, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Did you hear about Freya? She was a walrus and she was climbing onto people's boats. Oh, and get away from the orcas and stuff like that? No, she was doing it just to sunbathe. Oh, she was cool. That one. She She, was massive and sinking boats. She was sinking boats. (laughs) Climbing into people's boats and sinking them to sunbathe and stuff. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. They're ridiculous. The animals are ridiculous. ridiculous. They are ridiculous. (laughs) So, yeah. That's that. I'm trying to think if I have any other phobias. If I think of any, I will add on. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I don't think I have any. I had a lot. And I've gotten over a lot of them. Yeah. Aside from cockroaches, I'll never get over 
No thanks. Cockroaches are disgusting. Yeah, they are pretty gross. That's like me with millipede. Well, when I was 17, I lived in a bachelor apartment and there was a cockroach in our washroom. We didn't live in the nicest building or the nicest area. When you're 17 trying to finish school and working. Yeah, you shouldn't really be out on your own at 17. No. So I imagine you didn't live in a mansion. No, I didn't. So I found this massive cockroach and I grabbed the plastic cup I had in the washroom for whatever reason and I put it on it and it cut its head off so the head yeah. was on the outside and the cockroach was on the inside and I just slid it to the court because I couldn't even lift it I just left it there oh. I forgot about the cup months and months later I was like oh shit because you know I had stuff in front of it I lifted it up the cockroach was still alive without a head yeah they do that they're they'll, disgusting yeah they'll live without a head it's ridiculous disgusting I think that's the only fur I'll never get over never fair ever. enough I know that but I used to be de deadly afraid of bees I would literally cry and run oh yeah I've met a lot of people who are yeah. terrified of bees yeah. and I'm talking into my 20s yeah. okay I'm not talking little kid I was terrified and would quiver and cry now I love them so I don't know where that phobia or fear came from but it's not like I've ever actually I was stung when I was one I don't remember that and then I was stung again here mm -hmm. after I moved to BC but at this point I wasn't afraid of them anymore I was just on a hike and it happened to go under the flat like the tongue of my runner yeah and when I walked I guess oh, it pressed no. against yeah, it, so it stung and you? it stung me yeah so my foot swelled to the size of a football and I had oh, to walk man. home on that that was That's fun brutal but it wasn't the beast's fault. We're no. saying it was like self-defense. It was but, stuck. Yeah. But oh man, I'll never forget. In my 20s, I was so afraid of them. I would quiver. I would freeze, quiver, and then run crying. Yeah. They, they scared the living shit out of me. But now I love them. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the phobias I've had in the past, I'm over. But cockroaches, I will forever be a phobia man. <laughs> and probably black water. I yeah. I think so. All right. Who went first last week? Do you remember? Or, I wasn't with you. I mate. mean, I was just me last week. I went first. <laughs> you went first. Wasn't Diana's episode amazing last week, you guys? Ugh. Un fucking believable. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. It was amazing. It made me cry. I was driving and crying listening to it. It was horrifying, but you did such a great job. I and I know how much yeah. that hit close to home with you. Yeah, I debated not airing it. And I had to keep pausing because I kept crying because it was bringing up memories of the abuse I went through, the domestic violence that I experienced. And I wanted to shed some light on this because it happens and people are afraid. And I know I've been there and everyone always says, it's so easy. Just do it. Uh -uh. You're no, afraid. Yeah. It's not easy. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. So I, I debated airing it and mm -hmm. I, I told you that I almost didn't, but I'm happy I did. And then once I so aired it, I. once I aired it, I, about half hour into it, 20 minutes, half hour, I was like, oh, I'm going to delete it. And then I looked and like 10 people were listening already. And I was like, I guess I'm leaving it. <laughs> I'm so glad too, because so many go through what you go through with it mm -hmm. of like, I don't know, you know, I don't know if I should shed light on it. I don't know if I should yeah. talk about my truth, my story. No, I'm going to, I'm going to not, I'm going to keep it to yeah. myself. So many women go through that. And I'm so proud of you for not taking it down. Thank you. And keeping it up. I know. And I kept reminding myself of that. Yeah. I was basically projecting the fear that I experienced before. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm happy I did. And I want to listen to it again. I haven't yet. I don't know if I'm ready to listen to it again yet. It's a heavy one. It's a heavy one. It was very heavy for me. And I was happy I did it alone. Uh, even though Josh did say he would do it with me, I just didn't want him to see me in that state because I had to keep pausing because I was crying. And I was like, no, I don't need my kid, you know, 
seeing this. So it was it was a good one to do on my own because then I could do it at my own pace and cry my eyes out and unfortunately relive some of what I went through but it was so long ago I was gonna say that I'm over it but I'm actually not (laughs) you never get over it it's always there it's always in the back of your mind unfortunately it's those memories that are so vivid too yeah I remember details about certain things that happened to me and it's crazy where other things it's like I can't remember that I probably should remember but I don't but it's weird when these kinds of things happen they either your brain either does one of two things one makes you completely forget because there are certain parts of my life certain years where I don't remember what I was doing at all and I'm sure a lot of it it was because of the trauma but there are certain things I went through that are just so clear in my mind and it's like it happened yesterday yeah but that whole year ask me about the rest of the year I just yeah there are years and I've said this to my therapist there are years in my life where I have no idea what I did that year it's completely gone my brain is completely shut down those parts of my life unless I have photos to remember what happened that year there are years where I just don't remember anything which is kind of crazy when you think about it maybe it's for the best (laughs) maybe it is maybe it's for the best but yeah I'm glad you enjoyed it and I'm glad I shed some light on it I'm glad I left it on me too I'm sure there were a lot of women who listened to it too who felt empowered and grateful that you kept it up and that you posted it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm one of them. Yeah. Super grateful for sure. Thank you. Yeah. That's, I'm so proud of you for doing that. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to go first again this time too? That's fine if you do. No, you can totally go first. Okay. Like I said, I went first last week. (laughs) (laughs) You're so cute. (laughs) The look on your face. (laughs) Okay. So. Cite my sources, allthat'sinteresting.com and biographyhost.com. I actually titled the story. Okay. I titled it, The World is a Better Place. Okay. Okay. All right. So trigger warning for abduction, rape, mutilation, brutal attack with a weapon. I didn't really know how else to word that. Okay. But like just horrific attack with a weapon and disembowelment. I'm very excited to be telling this story to all our listeners and for Diana in case you haven't heard it before. Okay. It's hard to even wrap your head around what happened to this woman. This gripping and disturbing story is about Alison Botha. Alison was born on September 22nd, 1967 in Port Elizabeth, which is a town located in the eastern Cape province of South Africa. Alison grew up with her mother and her brother Neil, who is 18 months older than her, as her parents Brian and Claire separated when Alison was 10 years old. After being successful in completing her education in 1985, Allison embarked on a few years of traveling and worked as an insurance broker. Fast forward to one night in December of 1994, when Allison was wrapping up a night of fun with her friends, and she decided to drive her girlfriend home so she didn't have to walk down the dark road by herself. What a good fucking friend. (laughs) When Allison arrived back at her apartment building, someone had taken her parking spot, so she had to park a bit farther back than normal. Once she parked, a man named Franz Dutois put a knife to her throat and said, move over or I'll kill you, and ordered her at knife point to get into the back seat while he drove her car to go pick up his accomplice, Theans Kruger. Franz told Allison that he only needed her car for an hour, and the two even engaged in conversation while he drove. Allison stated in an interview that she talked with him and kept things calm in order to try and get out of this alive. But once Franz... Franz however you pronounce his name, picked up the other man. Allison knew by the nature of their discussion that they had sinister motives and she was in grave danger. Once Franz picked up Theans, they informed Allison of their intent to rape her and drove her to a secluded place outside of the city in another area of Port Elizabeth. 
Bravely, Allison chose to not resist the rape for a small fraction of a chance in surviving. Allison later spoke out saying that her body responded to the rape by resisting pain and her body involuntarily defaulted to arousal. Again, survival. Yeah, yeah. Survival. I'm jumping ahead a little bit right here. Spoiler alert, Allison has written a book. If it hadn't been for her co-writer's encouragement while writing her book, and this also kind of pertains to you and your story too, mm -hmm. and your whole truth, she likely... So, okay. If it hadn't been for her co-writer's encouragement while writing her book, she likely would have glossed over her rape and not mentioned intimate details. Allison said in an interview, I was so nervous about saying that if I'd written the book on my own, I probably would have brushed over it. But Marianne, the co-writer of I Have Life, mm -hmm. made me see how important it was. And I have lost count of the number of women who have come to thank me for saying it. Wow. People... Again, it is so important to speak out against sexual assault, rape, and sexual violence. This means exposing details that you may be afraid to share in fear of scrutiny or judgment. But I promise you, you are not alone, and there are other women and trans women who carry the same shame and are waiting and hoping for another woman to have the courage to speak up and validate uncomfortable details. We all must work together to end the stigma and break the silence. This also goes for men. If you're not aware of the constant sexual harassment and violence on women, including women you know, you're not speaking with enough women. Mm -hmm. Period. And call out other men who brag about pushing women to have sex, especially when we've said no. This is not a women's issue. This is also an issue that men should be taking more seriously. Mm -hmm. I think I speak for all women that we have been coerced and pushed to have sex when we didn't want to, and our bodies and boundaries were disrespected and violated. Many times in these situations, we also don't feel safe and it's virtually impossible to make log logical decisions when we as humans feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in the sense that it's our responsibility to put the predator in his place. I don't mean that as victim blaming because men know better and need to do better. These situations have happened to me several times in the past and I've fought the battle of blaming myself in every capacity, carrying the shame for what happened and falling into major depressive episodes Meanwhile, yeah. those pieces of shit sleep just fine. Oh, of course they do. And it's fucking bullshit. To them, it was, there was nothing. Yeah. It was just another day. And guys, if a woman is saying no at any point during intimacy or is visibly uncomfortable and vocalizing discomfort, that is not, or even if they're not vocalizing it, yeah. they just, if they look terrified or whatever, that's not a fucking invitation to prove to her that she wants it yeah. or she would enjoy it if she just gave you a chance. <laughs> That's predatory behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so fucking important for men to know. Yeah. Like, I have heard so many, the way so many men talk about women and sex and stuff. And it's like, you have no idea that, like, you're a fucking predator. Yep. What you're saying, that is terrifying. Yeah. I hope that you never get a woman alone. I, I would be scared for her safety. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, Ugh. get help and seek counseling. Mm -hmm. Leave women alone if that's how you are. Yeah. So... And a lot of it, I wonder if it stems from them watching males in their life. Probably. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And also porn has a lot to do with it too. Yeah. A lot of porn is like punishment sex on women. Yeah. It's very violent and women are always the receivers. So a lot of times men learn from porn in all the wrong ways. 
a lot of times young boys learn from it that way and then think that that's actually how sex is. Yeah, I know. And that that's actually how women should be treated during sex. And it's fucking horrifying. Yeah, not okay. No. It's okay to watch porn. Yeah, absolutely. Like, nothing wrong with that. It's just, no the behavior outside of that is Well, exactly. Well, yeah, and when it's not wanted, when it's not, not everybody's consenting. Mm -hmm. If you're with consenting adults who want to have sex porn style by all means That's, do yeah, your com- fucking thing completely different completely story. different everyone's yeah. into different things exactly let your freak flag fly yeah totally but yeah you can't just you know punish fuck women yeah. and expect us to like it yeah and well, i've i've had sex like that before where it was like are, are you are you like angry with my vagina I did know. it do something to you <laughs> because ow yeah seriously like i was in pain for days yeah after like lacerations jesus lacerations inside of me oh you poor thing so like men knock that shit off yeah unless it's been talked about okay anyways rant over is there anything else you want to say uh no okay back to the story after raping allison franz and theans tried suffocating her but once that proved unsuccessful and they grew more and more frustrated they decided to stab her 37 times jesus And as a direct result of this brutal stabbing, they disemboweled her and her intestines began pouring out. To Allison's demise, the two monsters may have left her alone had her leg not started twitching. That was their invitation Mm -hmm. they needed to continue with their abuse. Once realizing she wasn't dead yet, the men then slashed her throat 17 times, almost completely decapitating her. And she fucking survived this? Sweet. They slit her throat so severely that they cut her neck just above her collarbones from end to end. So, yeah. like here yeah. to like here. Big smiley face on her neck. Pretty much. It's gigantic. Allison shared her memory of having her throat slit in a statement. All I could see was an arm moving about my face, left and right and left and right. His movements were making a sound, a wet sound. It was the sound of my flesh being slashed open. He was cutting my throat with the knife. Again and again and again. It felt unreal, but it wasn't. I felt no pain, but it was not a dream. This was happening. One of her attackers said, no one can survive that. Before the two cowards bolted and left her for dead, drowning in her own blood. And, well, he was correct. You Mm -hmm. know, under normal circumstances, nobody would ever be able to survive an attack like that. No. But she did. Fucking plot twist. Jeez. She survived. I figure she did survive because you said she, you know, she in interviews and blah 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 I'm like, i know okay, she's a survivor right but then you start telling me she's stabbed 37 times and her throat is slashed 17 times what the fuck damn yep good for and you girl decapitated her yeah have you heard this story before no fucking amazing it's no. one of my favorite stories ever thank you for uh, yeah telling You're me welcome holy cow i know okay. it's amazing i contemplated using it as my survivor story for episode 10 contemplated and i almost did and Mm -hmm. then i almost shared the story about elizabeth fritzel okay but i decided to just do that one and then i was like i am doing the one about allison next because totally she is fucking amazing for a moment she thought she was going to die quote no i had to at least leave a clue about who did this to me so i wrote their names in the sand and i love mom beneath it because her and her mom are super close oh so yeah she wrote their names and then i love mom oh my god i know right wow incredibly beyond words allison gathered the strength to get herself up and to a highway where she could see headlights when she stood up her intestines were falling out and she used a denim shirt that was at the crime scene to wrap around her and keep them in her body 
Quote, it was time to move. I crawled, struggling through dirt and broken glass, my one hand holding the shirt. With each successive movement, I became increasingly tired. At some point, I collapsed onto the sand, exhausted, end quote. Allison soon realized that crawling was too slow and exhausting, and she needed to stay on her feet, even though she collapsed several times. When she initially stood up, all she could see were millions of tiny bright dots on black, and her vision was failing her. In a few moments, she realized that she was looking up at the night sky, and her head fell backwards onto her back. So her head was literally resting on her back down here, because that they slashed her throat so severely that her head just went... That fucking visual. Right? So all of her inside of her neck would have been exposed. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, her trachea was obviously completely severed. Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. So that's how badly, yeah, those two pieces of trash slowed her throat. They slid her throat so badly that they severed the muscle that's used to hold your head up. So with indescribable strength and determination, Allison held her intestines in with one hand with yeah. the shirt and pulled her head forward and held her head like this. That's like a horror movie. I know. Held her head in place. Yeah. Walking to the highway. Holy yeah. fucking shit. Once Allison pulled her head back up, she regained vision and realized the rasping sound she was hearing was her breathing through her severed trachea, and she was breathing through it right above her collarbones. Once Allison reached the highway, a veterinary student named Tian Ehlerd stopped and helped her, keeping her conscious until paramedics arrived to save her and rush her to the hospital. Dr. Alexander Angelov later stated that in his 16 years of practice, he had never seen such extensive and traumatic injuries. Allison was in surgery for three hours, which actually seems quite quick. Yeah. <laughs> I know, considering the extent of her injuries. But nevertheless, an amazing surgical team saved her life and she remained in the hospital for the next three weeks. She remembered every detail of her attack and attackers, which really helped authorities locate Dutois and Kruger and arrest them. This was one of the most high-profile cases in South Africa and was dubbed the, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Nordhuk Ripper Trial. Both rapists were convicted and Judge Chris Jensen sentenced them both to life in prison. Not only did Allison survive because of her own courage and will to live, she was also incredibly fortunate that miraculously, none of the 54 stab slash wounds she endured hit any major arteries. Yeah, no kidding. Once the dust settled after the trial and sentencing and whatnot, Allison gave up her career as an insurance broker and has become a motivational speaker, traveling to more than 30 countries to speak about her attack and dealing with her trauma. Her goal is to spread awareness and hope to others through her powerful testimony. Quote, believing that I could live the night of my attack and seeing the miraculous result of that belief is also a great life achievement for me. The personal emails and notes that I receive from people whose lives have been saved because they heard or read my story has to be the most rewarding and valuable achievement. They make it all worth the while, end quote. Unfortunately, all prisoners sentenced to life in prison before 2004 were eligible for parole. However, petitions have been circulating since the first time Franz and Theans were eligible for parole to keep them both locked up forever and thank the fucking darkness all these petitions have been successful wonderful yep two years after her attack allison married the love of her life i don't know if i'm pronouncing this right tiani botha whom she'd known for a very long time the interesting part of their relationship blossoming is that they were both healing from their past and leaned on each other heavily for support allison and tiani have two boys and are still very happily married 
As I gave a spoiler alert earlier, Allison has written a book called I Have Life and has had a very successful and amazing journey with her motivational speaking. Spanning over 30 countries, they have had the privilege and fortune to have her empower their women and speak her truth. There is also a documentary on Amazon called Allison that was released in August of 2016. We need to watch it. I was just going to, I'm like writing this yeah. down. Allison? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need to watch it. Okay. Yeah, and it's on Amazon, and it's like an hour and 20 minutes, so maybe we could even watch it tonight or something. Yeah, let's do that. For sure. I've wanted to watch it for so long, and I forgot about it. Yeah. Not long after her success, Franz had the audacity to contact Allison and requested a forgiveness letter from her, and a portion of her earnings from her book. (laughs) Oh, the set of balls on this piece of shit. Right? Holy. She quickly declined everything. Well, I I fucking hope so. Can you imagine the level of narcissism? Can you imagine? Wow. Like, well, you wrote a book. I'm in it. I'm the star of it. You know, I did all that to you. I I deserve some of that money. And please forgive me. (laughs) Not even please. You need to forgive me. Right? And I never mentioned it, but it was said that during the trial that Thans and Franz showed absolutely zero remorse for what they did to her. Of course. None. Like, no remorse. Just, re- just, oh my God. I can't. Oh, yeah. That's nuts. I know. Allison, if you ever hear this, you make me want to be the best version of myself and I would love to meet you someday. Yeah. You truly are a remarkable woman and deserve all things good in life. The world is a better place with you in it. Yeah. I am blown away. Like, your body would go into shock, obviously. Like, the fact that she was holding her intestines in and then flipping her head over and holding that, your body is in shock. Totally. So you're not even thinking about it, but, like, imagining Imagining that. Holy fuck. Yeah, and having to process all that when you finally come down from that. And you have to process everything. Oh, and I never mentioned, but she said that she could feel something wet and squishy. Mm -hmm. And she realized that she was holding with her bare hands her intestines. And she didn't realize it, right? Yeah. And then she realized that, yeah, her intestines were coming out of her. Jesus. And she could hear it, but she wasn't sure what it was. And yeah. Yeah, your brain puts you in a different space (laughs) so that you can try and survive. And it's a wonderful thing that it does that. But holy crap. Right? Holy moly. What a survivor story. Wow. It's phenomenal. Wow. Yep. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. We definitely have to watch the documentary. Yep. Okay. It looks amazing. I've watched interviews with her too. And she just seems like such an amazing person mm-hmm. and so kind. And I read in interviews that when people speak with her that she has this disposition and demeanor that it feels like you've known her your whole life yeah and she's just so kind oh yeah crazy well i'm happy she survived and she got those fuckers put in jail right jesus wow all right yeah that's the story of allison botha Thank you for sharing that. You're I have welcome. definitely never heard that. I'm surprised you haven't I'm heard of it. I'm surprised too. I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. I mean, I listen to, you know, and a it's buttload pretty, of... Yeah, it's pretty popular. Yeah, I, I listen to a buttload of true crime podcasts and yeah. stuff. And I do not remember that. Yeah, it's a popular one. It's not like when I covered David Ennis. Yeah. A lot of people haven't heard of that no. one, right? But like this one, it's very popular. Weird. So that. yeah, I'm shocked you haven't heard it. Unless it's one of those things where it was on one of the podcasts, but, you know, sometimes I put them on and I'm doing something else and not really paying attention. It's just background noise. Yeah, so I'm wondering. I'm actually going to go back in all the podcasts I listen to and see if it actually was a story in them. Yeah. Because I'm curious now. Huh. Crazy. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I'm going to tell my story. Yes. Now. I can't wait to hear it. I'm pretty excited to talk about it. My sources are Wikipedia, allthatsinteresting.com, and Toronto Life. So triggers are murder. That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just Short murder. Sweet. Just murder. Right to the point. Yep. So my story is about Jennifer Pan and her family. Jennifer was born on June 17th of 1986 in Markham, Ontario. And for those that don't know where Markham is, it's about 30 kilometers northeast of downtown Toronto. Her parents, Bik Ha Pan, so her mother, and Hui Han Pan, her father, were immigrants from Vietnam. Her father, Han, was born and educated in Vietnam and moved to Canada in 1979 as a political refugee. Her mom, Bik, followed shortly after also as a refugee. They got married in Toronto and lived in Scarborough, which is an armpit, but whatever. It's an armpit. There's lots of armpits down there. Scarborough's one of them. (laughs) They had two children, Jennifer, born in 1986, and their son, Felix, born in 1989. They were very frugal and managed to save enough money to buy a big home in Markham, Ontario, and the homes out there are massive. So they managed to buy a place out there, and they also had some pretty nice fucking wheels, Han drove a Mercedes-Benz and Bic drove a Lexus ES300. So they were they were doing pretty good. And they also had an accumulative amount of $200,000 in their bank account. Wow, good for them. So they did good. They did good. Very well for themselves. Yeah. They expected their kids to work just as hard as them and they wanted them to succeed in life. Mm-hmm. So they yeah, want them sure. to, you know. So they felt that they set a good example for their kids with everything they experienced, their struggles, and wanted them to achieve more. Jennifer started piano lessons at the age of four and showed early promise. She was also put in figure skating and wanted to compete at the national level, hoping to compete at the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver. Unfortunately, she tore a ligament in her knee, so that dream was squashed. Oh, no. Yeah. Which sucks. That really sucks. Yeah. It always breaks my heart when I hear about these athletes that work so fucking hard. Mm-hmm. And then something like that cripples them. And their dream, basically. Just shattered. Just shattered. Oh, and the grieving you'd go through. Grieving the life you envisioned for and yourself. Being angry. Yeah. So fucking angry. Yeah. So it's horrible. Oh, yeah. While in elementary school, Jennifer would come home from skating practice at about 10 p.m. <laughs> so she was in school all day, went to skating practice, got home around 10, and then she'd do homework until about midnight and then try and get some sleep and repeat the next day. Wow. Yep. She was under a lot of pressure and began to cut herself, oh, unfortunately. I guess I, get, I guess that could have been a trigger, sorry, cutting. Yeah. So, sorry guys, late trigger. So she would cut little horizontal lines on her arms, her forearms. She had a lot of expectations when graduating grade eight, but was very disappointed when she didn't get named valedictorian and didn't get any medals or any recognition of any sort for her achievements. She felt defeated. Oh. Because of all her hard work. And I I get that. I've seen so many kids go through that. Mm -hmm. To her, she's like, well, why am I working so hard for nothing? Yeah. She didn't let people know that she was disappointed with... The fact that she didn't get anything. And she would later say that she would put on her happy mask. Jennifer was described as a social butterfly that got along with everyone. She was friends with the nerds. She was friends with the smart people. She was friends with the whatever. Like, she just got along with everyone in school. It was later said that Jennifer's friendly and confident image were all for show. Poor thing. Inside, 
she felt like she wasn't enough, had a lot of self-doubt and felt a lot of shame. Yeah. That's so sad. It is very sad. Parents need to fucking learn that you shouldn't pressure your fucking kids no. so hard. It never turns out well. No. Nope. Ever. Never turns out the way you want it to. No. And it's just not fair. Nope. It's so not fair. Let your kids discover who they're going to be. Yeah. Let them be their authentic selves. Exactly. And she didn't have that opportunity, unfortunately. No, it's bullshit. Yeah. Anytime she competed in skating and didn't come in first, she would hide her devastation from her parents because not only were they disappointed, obviously, she didn't want them to worry about her on top of the disappointment. So it was extra stress for her parents. So basically she was expecting them to not do their job of being a parent, mm -hmm. trying to lighten their load. Well, she's obviously had her experience with them and their disappointment when she doesn't succeed the way they want her to. So yeah. Yeah. Her mother would sometimes notice that Jennifer was not okay. So she did notice that her daughter was not in a good place and would try and comfort her at night. She would also whisper to her once she fell asleep, quote, you know, all we want for you is just your best. Just do what you can, end quote. Jennifer was a top student in elementary school, but that changed in grade nine, where she was averaging about 70% in all her subjects, except for music. She didn't want her parents to know that she wasn't a straight A student anymore, so she would forge her report cards. She would take old report cards, cut them up, glue them back together, and then use a photocopier to make them look wow. real. Wow. Yeah. I can understand that fear. For sure. I can understand that fear. Absolutely. Any time in her life, she did not achieve what they wanted her to achieve. It was like she was a huge disappointment. And I'm sure at that point, she was just tired of being a disappointment. Mm-hmm. So she didn't worry about her grades in grade nine or grade 10 as universities didn't necessarily consider those marks. And I guess this is how she justified what she was doing by faking her report cards. Her dad was described as a classic tiger dad. And her mom, unfortunately, wasn't necessarily, but she followed in her father's footsteps reluctantly. So he's doing it. Therefore, it's my duty to do it as well. They picked Jennifer up from school every day and kept track of everything she did. She wasn't allowed to go to school dances. As her dad said, they were unproductive. I mean, he's not wrong, but come on. It's a part of being a kid to be not able to do that with your friends. That's just horrible. And to think that every waking minute of your life depends on, and your worth depends on productivity. Yeah. That's toxic. I had not like the tiger parenting experience, but... In my childhood, I wasn't allowed to go to school dances either. I wasn't allowed to talk on the phone. My brother was because he's a boy, but I was a girl, so I wasn't allowed to. Even playing outside, I wasn't allowed to play outside. My brother's younger than me, two years younger than me. So I could sit outside on the veranda. I couldn't play, but I could sit outside to get some fresh air while my brother was playing while he was outside. And as soon as he wanted to go inside, I had to go in with him. So my parents were similar in that strict aspect of it and that's why I rebelled after a while it was like trying to be the perfect kid and they still didn't appreciate it so yeah I rebelled fuck it for sure <laughs> it's not okay to be like that with your kids no people. It's trust not. me I know from experience because yeah I I rebelled I was on my own at the age of 16 not because I wanted to be by the way because my father started following me to school he was convinced 
that I wasn't going to school and I was out there, I don't know, being a prostitute, I guess. And he couldn't catch me in the act because I wasn't. I was literally going to school. He started missing work because of his obsession. And he eventually kicked me out because he couldn't catch me doing what he thought. But my dad is a very complex person. It sounds like psychosis. Yeah, he was in the Angola War. He suffers from a lot of postpartum. No, wait, that's when you're pregnant. (laughs) PTSD. Yeah, PTSD. No, after he had the baby. <laughs> yeah, he suffers from a lot. He has and continues to suffer from a lot of PTSD. So I'm not making excuses for him, but I get it. But still, it fucked up my whole childhood. So I feel her pain reading this. I'm like, yep, yep, I get that. I get that. It's not okay. And then you're the outcast. Because yep. everyone else is allowed to do shit, but you're not. Mm-hmm. So it was bullshit. I so get fuck parents like that. Parties were also off limits. And so were boys. She wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend until after university. By the time she was 22, she hadn't done anything other than attend school and any other activities her parents had approved. So she had never been part, like she never partied. She never went to a club. She never drank nothing at 22. Can you imagine that? Poor girl. Yeah. Josh is about to be 23 and I can't imagine having my fucking thumb over him that hard. I can't. He's an adult. He works. He's entitled to fuck up and do all that shit. Totally. We've all done that. Yeah. Let him live their lives. Yeah. The fact that they were treating her like a fucking four-year-old her whole life. So. Unreal. Jennifer obviously hated that they were so controlling. I hate it for her. I hate it too. Yeah. One of her friends said, quote, they were absolutely controlling and they treated her like shit for such a long time. End quote. When Jennifer was in grade 11... She met her boyfriend, Daniel Wong. Obviously, her parents didn't know about that. He was a year older than her. Their relationship remained platonic up until a band trip in Europe in 2003, and they started dating that summer. Jennifer continued to forge her report cards and was earning mostly Bs. How many parents would love to see their kids' report cards with Bs on them? So many. So many. That'd be like, congratulations, you kicked ass. Yeah. But she couldn't show her parents that report card because it's not an A. Yeah. It is disgusting. She did receive early acceptance to Ryerson, but they withdrew their invitation when she failed calculus in grade 12. So she panicked and she didn't want her parents to look at her report cards to try and figure out why they rescinded their invitation. So she told them that she was going to school. She was going to Ryerson in the fall. So she lied about that. She told her family that she had won a scholarship when it came time to pay for tuition and that she had been approved for an OSAP loan. That's just what they called the Ontario student loan. She also told them that she had been accepted into a pharmacology program at the University of Toronto. She even purchased secondhand textbooks and would watch videos relating to what she apparently was studying at the library and make notes so that because she had to show her parents. Yeah, to keep up this lie. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, she was doing that when she wasn't faking her notes. She was sitting at cafes, but also working. So she worked at Eastside Mario's during the day, as well as Boston Pizza, where her boyfriend Daniel worked. Yeah. And she even started teaching piano in the evening. Jennifer started lying to her friends as well about everything. She felt that she needed to keep up the lies to make it consistent. Yep. So her lies were... Yeah, exactly. So she was lying to everyone because she felt like she needed to keep it all 
so she wasn't found out. Yeah, and protect herself. Yeah. It's totally valid. Yeah. While she was going to school, <laughs> and I use air quotations <laughs> for that, she asked her parents if she could stay with her friend during the week as her friend lived a lot closer to campus, and they were okay with that. Little did they know that she was actually shacking up with her boyfriend at his parents' place. Yeah, exactly. His parents were okay with it, but they kept asking her to set up a time to meet her parents Mm because they had never met. So she just kept delaying the meeting, just making excuses, and they were okay with this arrangement. 100% okay. (laughs) Two years go by, and she should be graduating from UFT. So University of Toronto, for those that don't know what the acronym is. Her and Daniel hired someone that they found online to create a fake transcript for her. Wow. Yep. She had to keep up the lie. Yeah. Right? She told her parents that they were only allowed to bring one guest to the ceremony, the graduation ceremony, because it was such a large class. And she didn't feel that it was right for one of them to miss out. (laughs) So she gave the ticket to a friend. Jennifer had a strategy when dealing with her lies. She later said, quote, I tried looking at myself in the third person, didn't like who I saw, but I rationalized in my head, said I had to keep going. Otherwise, I would lose everything that ever meant anything to me, end quote. After graduating, again, air quotes, graduating from her fake belief studies at university, Jennifer told her parents that she started volunteering at the hospital for sick kids. Her parents became suspicious when they noticed that she never came home with a badge or a uniform. So they decided to follow her. She was busted. They found out. So the truth finally came out and she admitted that she had never attended a university and that she never volunteered at the hospital. So her dad was fucking pissed and wanted to kick her out of the house, but her mom convinced him to let her stay. Wow. She had everything taken away from her, her phone, laptop, everything. A 22 fucking year old. Treating her like she's a a fucking infant. Unbelievable. So they took it all away from her, but eventually would allow her to use it, but they would track everything. Fucking psychotic. Yeah. And they found out about Daniel because she admitted to that too, and she wasn't allowed to see him anymore. She had to quit all her jobs except for the piano lesson job. They let her keep that, but they tracked her kilometers. (laughs) Oh my God. To make sure she was going to the lesson and back home. Yep. Sounds like fucking prison, man. I can't can't even imagine the anxiety this poor thing was going through. Like, having all that pressure. Right? And any parent listening to this thinking it's okay, it's not. Like, fuck you. It is not okay. Get some psychological help. Yeah. You're the the one with the problem, not the child. Yeah, you have the fucking problem. You have the fucking problem. You're projecting it onto your kids. Yep. We don't own our children. No. And that is a huge misconception mm-hmm. with parents. We do not own our fucking kids. They are not our property. Nope. They are their own human being. Yeah. It is our job to make sure that they grow up to be good humans. Yeah. And not little pieces of shit running around. Yeah. That's our job. We don't own them. Nudge them in the right direction. Exactly. And that's it. That's it. Exactly. You know? Lead by example, all that yep. kind of stuff. And if you're leading with the wrong example, because it happens sometimes, you're in situations, and, you know, being open with them and talking to mm-hmm. them. But they're not your fucking property. Yep. My dad treated me like his property. Mm-hmm. My mom, unfortunately, like Bick, the mom in this story, just followed along yep. because she feared my dad. Yep. So I was his fucking property, and that's disgusting. It is disgusting. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Not okay. Not nope. okay. 
at all. You can't justify it in any way possible. It's horrible. It's bullshit. So in February of 2009, she posted on Facebook saying, quote, living in my house is like living under house arrest. No person knows everything about me and no two people put together knows everything about me. I like being a mystery, end quote. Her parents did allow her some freedom and she, she was allowed to enroll in a calculus course so she could get her final credit for high school and get her diploma. She did speak with Daniel in secret and would sometimes go see him between piano lessons. So she rebelled a little bit. And Good they, for her. Yeah, right? She didn't, she didn't, they didn't know about that, I should say. At the age of 24, Jennifer... I them. Yeah, me too. Jennifer was still sneaking around to see Daniel and he was getting tired of this. I can't say I blame the guy because he can't even see his girlfriend. Oh, Irwin. Hi. We have cats screaming at us. So funny. Okay, so... I can't blame him. He ended up breaking it off with her and yeah. started dating someone else. Of course, she was heartbroken and devastated. Didn't know what to do with herself. Aww. She wanted him back. So what's the best way to go about this? Lie some more, I guess. After all, she is a really good storyteller. <laughs> She's been keeping up a facade for so long. She decided to make up a story about a guy that knocked on her door and apparently flashed what looked like a cop badge. So she let him in. Once he was in, a group of guys came rushing in and the gang raped her. She then said she got a bullet mailed to her and told him that this was all the doing of his new girlfriend, Christine, because she wanted Jennifer to leave him alone. She was upset that he broke up with her and didn't know how to deal with it. So yeah. she concocted this huge, crazy lie. Well, yeah, she doesn't even know how to be an adult, so she I'm doesn't. not surprised. I neither am I. This is all she knows. All she knows is how to survive and lie. Yep. I don't blame her at all. I don't. I don't either. She's me. probably so socially and emotionally immature. Yep. At that age, it would be astounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was deprived of all that. Yeah, she would have had no life experience. Yep. She'd never gone through things that would make her grow up mm -hmm. and shit, so she would be so emotionally immature. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why she did that. Yeah. It was the only way she knew yeah. how to deal with it. Yeah. Oh my God, my boyfriend broke up with me. <gasps> Let me make this shit up. Yeah. And it's the worst thing possible. She got gang raped. Yeah. Like horrible, horrible thing to lie yeah. about. It's not cool. No, it's not cool. But it was the only way she knew how to deal with it and yeah. get his attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I blame her parents for that. Oh, absolutely. For sure. She was so fucking sheltered. Yeah. She didn't know anything. Nope. So in the spring of 2010, Jennifer reconnected with a high school friend named Andrew Montemayor. I hope I'm saying that right. She claimed that he had bragged about robbing people at knife point, but he denied it all. Andrew introduced her to Ricardo Duncan, who was described as a goth kid. Jennifer claims that she gave this kid $1,500 to kill her dad in the parking lot at his work. Wow. So Ricardo said... That, well, she once gave him $200 for a night out, but he gave it back. And that he turned down the offer to kill her parents. Or her father, I should say. Now, Jennifer and Daniel are talking again. And according to the police, they came up with a plan to hire a hitman for ten grand to kill both her parents at this point. Wow. Yep. She figured she would inherit about half a million dollars. Then her and Daniel could move in together and she could finally 
start living live happily ever after the I end yes yeah daniel gave jennifer a spare phone so that she can connect with his acquaintance named lenford crawford who daniel referred to as homeboy uh-huh nice <laughs> So the series of connections with everyone involved. So Jennifer contacted Lenford. He contacted a guy named Eric Shock Cardi, who then contacted David Milvaganum. So Lenford lived in Brampton, Ontario. That's where Kathy and Amanda used to live. Yeah. David lived in Toronto. Eric previously lived in Rexdale. And he had no fixed address at the time. So... On November 8th of 2010, Lenford texted Jennifer, quote, after work, okay, will be game time, end quote. Before heading to bed, she went downstairs and unlocked the front door and said goodnight to her mom. Shortly after, David entered their house with two other people. They were all carrying guns. They don't know who the other two gunmen were, but Eric stated that he was the driver for all three hitmen. The hitman demanded all their money and took her parents down to the basement where they shot them multiple times. Her mother did not make it, but her father did survive. Oh, shit. Yeah, he survived the shooting. Plot twist. Yeah, and it's like, well, if we were going to kill one of the two, it should have been him. Yeah. He died, not her mom. Fuck. I'm not saying it's okay, by the way. But. It is not okay. No, it's but not. it's shitty. The mom died where she was basically just... Going along with it, yeah, yeah, because she she had had to. Yeah, her husband was a tyrant. Yeah. So the hitman took all the cash that they could find in the house, including... So some accounts I read, 2,000 others, I read 2,500, whatever, that Jennifer had left for them. Uh, So part of the deal. She said that they tied her up, but she still managed to call 911. Her dad was treated at Markham Hospital and then was moved to Sunnybrook by an airplane. The night after the shooting, Jennifer went in for her first interview with the police. And then two days later, she went in for her second interview. On November 22nd, during her third interview, she was arrested. She admitted to hiring hitman, a hitman, I should say, but couldn't help herself and needed to lie again, unfortunately, by saying that she hired them to kill her, not her parents, that it was an elaborate attempt at at suicide. On April 14th of 2011, David was arrested at Jane Finch Mall, which is another imprint of Toronto. I avoided that area at all costs. I was afraid to drive through it because you could get shot. Holy shit. It was bad. That's bad. There was flying bullets all the time in Jane and Finch area all the time. That is crazy. Oh, yeah. On April 15th of 2011, Eric was arrested at the prison he was being held in. On May 4th of 2011, Lanford was arrested in Brampton. The trial began on March 19th of 2014 in Newmarket, Ontario, and lasted about 10 months. They said it was only going to last a few months, but it definitely went longer than they anticipated. They all pleaded not guilty, of course, to the charges of first-degree murder, attempted murder, and conspiracy to commit murder. There was so much evidence against you guys. I'm not going to get into all of it, but they yeah. had their cell phones. They had everything. Well, yeah, I was thinking like they're really shitty criminals. Yeah. Like they, they were, were texting, texting, yeah, texting each, each other. other. Like you're a really shitty criminal. Exactly. There was so much evidence. That's a fucking paper trail. Yeah. Like yeah. you're dumb. Yeah. Dumb. So again, I'm not going to go into it all, but there was lots of evidence. Yeah. There were too many irregularities in the murder or attempted murder that night. It was a robbery where they shot two victims, but left a third that could identify them, right? Because they didn't do anything with her except tie her up. They didn't assault her. They didn't blindfold her. 
They didn't take her into the basement with her parents. Like, why would they leave an eyewitness behind? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So, obviously, they're like, okay, something's not right with this. So, Jennifer, Daniel, David, and Lenford were all convicted on December 13th of 2014. They all received a life sentence with no chance of parole for 25 years. Eric also tried with the others, but his lawyer became ill and his case was declared a mistrial. But in December of 2015, he received an 18-year sentence after pleading guilty to conspiracy to commit murder and is eligible for parole after nine years. Eric said that he did not want Jennifer's dad to go through another criminal trial. What a nice guy. What a guy. Yep. So Han, her dad, and Felix requested a court order that banned Jennifer from ever contacting any of the surviving family members again. She's also banned from contacting Daniel. Han and Felix both wrote impact statements, quote, when I lost my wife, I lost my daughter at the same time. I don't feel like I have a family anymore. Some say I should feel lucky to be alive, but I feel like I am dead too, end quote. Han can no longer work due to his injuries and now suffers from anxiety and depression. Felix, to get away from all the shit, moved to the East Coast and suffers from major depression and is known to be a recluse now. Yeah. It is a fucked up story all around. That's crazy. This all could have been avoided. Yeah. If her parents weren't so... Overbearing. Yeah. I understand her anxiety and being desperate. I, yeah. I understand that. Me too. I really do. Yeah. What she did is not okay. No. At all. Hiring hitmen? No, that's not, not okay, okay to have people's lives taken from them. No, it's not. No. She could have just left the house and never gone back. Yeah. Just you put know? her foot down and be go. like, that's it. Yeah. And if you need, because you don't work or whatever, go find a shelter, find help. Exactly. You could have done all of that yeah. kind of stuff. Outreach programs. Yeah. Yeah. You could have done all that kind of stuff. So there is help out there. But I also understand, especially with certain cultures, you do not no. seek help. That's just it too, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, like, where do you turn at that point? You don't know what to do. Mm-mm. So it's a horrible story. I remember yeah. reading about it. It's it's so sad. I'm Crazy. sad for her. She has not enjoyed any of her life. Yeah. Any of it. And now she's in jail. And rightfully so. Yeah. But it's her father's fault. Yeah. She was desperate and unfortunately sought the wrong help. Yeah. And now is like paying for it. Yep. Like so sad. It is sad. When is she eligible for parole? After 25 years. So not for a long time. Not for a long time. Yeah. She hasn't even been in jail for that long. Crazy. It is crazy. Crazy. Well, that's it, folks. Anything yeah. else you want to add? I think I'm good. Okay. Me yeah, too. Yeah, I think I'm good. Well, peace out, bitches, and we will talk to you next week. Have a great night. Bye. Bye.